0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Covenant Church. Faith Covenant is a non-denominational Bible church based in Borger, Texas. We exist to take in all people, teach the truth, train followers, and transform lives. We hope that this sermon encourages you and brings you closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. For more information about Faith Covenant Church, visit our website at www.faithborger.com. Bible tells us that on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread from that Passover meal and he said, this is my body. And he said, whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And Lord Jesus, today, we are remembering you. We're remembering the body that you so willingly gave. And Lord Jesus, you gave yourself to the uttermost for our benefit, for our blessing, for, the building of, for building us up, and for saving our soul. And we just thank you so much, Lord Jesus. We love you today. Amen. We'd also like to serve the element of the, the wine or the juice. And again, if you would hold it until we've all been served, we'd like to take that together as one, as a family. just take a moment to look at the cup that you have. You know, in the Bible passage we're going to be looking at today, it's pretty prominent part of that Bible passage is the, the theme of sacrifice, the sacrifice of animals for sins. And the idea was not so much that the animals would be sacrificed, but it was communicating to the people, even in ancient times, that the life is in the blood and there would be a time when a life would have to be given as an atonement for the sins. And who would have ever dreamed that that life would be the life of God's only Son? And yet that is what we remember today. And the Lord Jesus, on the night of the Passover meal, as this cup was being passed around, he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. And remember me when you drink this. And Lord Jesus, we know that you've given yourself to the uttermost and you've given yourself to the innermost, your very blood, your very heart poured out for us. And so we thank you for this today, Jesus. We love you so much. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving of yourself to the uttermost and the innermost. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you very much. All right. <clears throat> wow. You know, it is a holiday weekend, and uh, Bobby was getting on to me a little while ago. You know, I always get up here and I always say, you know, hey, we're all people who got stuck in Borger, you know, because we get to go to where We're all people who got blessed to stay in Borger this weekend. Amen? Oh, that's right. The weather's beautiful, and it's great, and it's great to be here with you. It's been good for my heart already to be here. Uh, Now, being a holiday weekend, we won't have children's church today, so if your kids are here, uh, you might come up and get a couple of communion crackers and just kind of pass it to them, okay? You know, let them gnaw on that a little bit. Oh, I got it. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. No, that's good. All right. (laughs) Can't let these young men be helping me because then, you know, it's kind of frail, you know? (laughs) Got to put it off as long as you can. (laughs) Hey, I forgot to make an important announcement a minute ago, by the way. Uh, We we also need uh, side dishes for uh, the uh, county fair next week. And so if you could bring something, uh, you know, tater tots, I don't know, whatever, scalloped potatoes, you know, green bean casserole, uh, salad of some kind, anything like that next week, uh, that would be great. We would appreciate that so much. We'll provide the meat and we'll have hamburgers and hot dogs. If you bring your sides... And then the contestants bring ice cream, and and they bring cake and things like that. It's going to be awesome. Okay, we'll have a great time. But the best part is not just the food, but all the tables are set up in here and outside. The kids are playing, and we're all in here visiting. And it's just, it's always a really, really fun, really, really fun event. And we'll have some ice-cold watermelons, too, so it's going to be good. Let's take our Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, We're going to look at the life of King Saul. Uh, a little bit later on, but right now we're at the end of like this major, major theme. We've been in a series called Uncharted for quite some time, and we've been looking at the life of one of the Bible's most interesting characters, right? King Saul. And uh, today we're kind of finishing this up because next week we're going to start off with David and the story of David and Goliath. And so I'm very excited about that, really excited. But I want you to know that today, though, this passage we're looking at today uh, it has challenged me so much this week, and has really made me look at my own life, my own heart, and uh, I hope that it does the same for you. All right, God had called Samuel to to lead and to serve, and he got off to a great start. Uh, and God did miracles on his behalf. You know, he defeated huge armies of the Ammonites and the Philistines, but then Saul does something here in chapter fifteen, and it changes everything. And the problem that he had was that. Saul, though he was in a position of leadership and serving the Lord, he wasn't earnest. And so today the title is An Earnest Endeavor, all right, An Earnest Endeavor. I was having a conversation this week, earlier this week with Michael, and then I had the same conversation with Melanie uh, later in the week, and I've had this conversation so many times, and it goes something like this. Why is it that some people who have really difficult lives as children grow up into stable godly adults who are kind of walking the straight and narrow, all right? They grew up around alcohol and drugs, and they have every excuse to be bitter and angry and addicted, but they're walking through life like down a a straight path, and they're just doing so well, and they're being successful for the most part. And we asked this person, you know, how did you turn out the way you did? You you should be a wreck, you know, because of what you grew up in, but you're a success. And by the way, as Christians, you know, should it surprise us that people are being redeemed from sin and saved out of sin and and doing those things, okay? Because that's the gospel. That's what we're here for. That's why we're here, to to take in, teach, train, and transform. We believe that can happen, all right? But then here's the other side of that question, though, that always comes up. Why is it that some people who have a seemingly, seemingly really good life as children, and they grow up into troubled adults? They're walking through life, and their life endeavor is filled with bad choices and painful circumstances, and we ask this person, how did you turn out the way you did? You know, you should be a success, but you're a wreck. Okay, we don't actually ask that, but you know, that's kind of what we think, all right? That'd be a rude thing to say. And it makes parents look in the mirror like, what have I done wrong? And there's kind of this idea out there in the Christian world today that we bought into that a child's success is exclusively the domain of their parents' skills. And when a child comes from a good family struggles Here's what most of us are going to say. Well, there must be something going on there that we don't know about because we all know that if you do everything right as a parent, your kids are going to do everything right as adults. We live in a world of Dr. Phil and Oprah. All right. You're making the choices that you're making because of your childhood. Your diapers are put on too tight. All right. Your potty training wasn't done right. You know, something like that. All right. And that's why, you know, you're addicted to crack. Personally, (laughs) I don't don't believe that's the case, all right? And there's an X factor that leads to success in life, and it's available to every person. It doesn't matter what your race, your socioeconomic background, your economic status, your upbringing. There's this X factor out there. It's open and available to all of us, and that is, first of all, understanding what success is. Success is knowing the will of God and faithfully following that. That's it. There's no other formula for success. But then how do you know the will of God? And then here's the other thing that happens so many times. It happens to people from all sorts of backgrounds. People in a really, really rough background, they see the will of God. They read the word of God. They hear from God, the adults, and they know the will of God for life. And they say, yes, Lord, I'll do that. Other people who've come in from great homes, they they hear the will of God and they see the will of God and they say, I'd rather not. I'd rather do something else. And so the X factor is this. How did you respond over the course of your life to the voice of God? In this journey in life, this endeavor we're on called life, how did you respond to the voice of God? You know, I know we've used this scripture often, but the older I get, the more it means to me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You know, those words were written just really maybe about one generation after King Saul, not that long after the life of King Saul. And I could see King Solomon writing those words, thinking about Saul as he's putting his pencil to paper. And have you never, ever noticed that some people in life, as they're endeavoring through life, they seem to be walking with a limp. You know, everything is so hard. It's so challenging for them. Their lives are filled with struggles of their own choosing and pain of their own making. And one thing that creates stress for you and me and for our families and for our church and everybody around us is when we are indecisive. When you're indecisive, when you're unsure of yourself, afraid to make the tough call, wavering between opinions, it weakens your walking. And you might remember this passage from 1 Kings chapter 18 when Elijah was preaching to the all, this huge assembly of Israelites, and there were the, the prophets of the God Baal there. And they had this big showdown. And Elijah came to the people and he said, How long will you go limping, limping through life, with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people did not answer a word. They were silent. You know, the worship of Baal, it's centered around self-indulgent and pleasure and prosperity and luxury and power. And Elijah lays it out there. He says, if that's what you want, if that's what life is all about for you, then that's fine. Be a person of integrity. Go after that 100%. But don't go limping through life, wavering between two opinions. If the Lord is God, be a person of integrity and if with 100% of your heart, wholeheartedly Give yourself to him because indecision is a form of double-mindedness. Your energy and your emotional and mental energy is constantly divided. And James says that when we're double-minded like this, it it makes our lives unstable. Jesus said it's like walking or building on the sand, building on sand. James chapter 1, James says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. And he will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. And such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything that they do. So that means that in this endeavor that we call life, The clarion call from the word of God is this, be earnest. What does that word earnest mean, all right? Uh, Earnest means sincere, genuine, wholehearted, dedicated, impassioned. It comes from a Latin word that means a pledge. In in other words, we're to be a pledged people, a people pledged to the Lord. In our passage today, God gives King Saul a clear word. And he has to make a tough call. It won't be easy. And there are times in life that you and I are asked to make the tough call. And it's extremely difficult. And some of you here today, you have to make a tough call. It might be in relationships. It might be in your own personal life. You have a hard decision to make. And we want to learn some things from the life of Saul about how to make the tough call. Number one, you have to trust God when you don't understand him. Look at First Samuel chapter 15, verses one through eight. Samuel, remember Samuel is the prophet. He's the man who speaks for God. And Samuel said to Saul, this is a message from the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them As they came up from Egypt. Now that word waylaid there, by the way, means to be laid out horizontally. They struck them down and killed them. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. And so Saul summoned an army together. And you can see there verses 4 through 8 that he went on the attack Look at verse 8. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. You know, there's a man that I know that I, I, I have so much respect for. He's been a Christian more than 70 years. He's heard so much preaching and teaching. He's been in church three times a week since he was a little boy. And the other day, we were having, uh, I say a few, about a few months ago, we were having a conversation, and he said, just kind of out of the blue, he said, You know what I don't understand? I don't understand God giving orders to wipe out entire groups of people, especially women and children. He said, I know God is wise, and I know we're supposed to trust God. He said, but I just don't understand that. And I got to tell you, I found his honesty very, very refreshing. Saul might have had the same response. God wants me to do what? You know, take out everybody, everything? Now, atheists, agnostics, and skeptics, they love to point out passages like this because it makes God look bad. How can you worship a God who is genocidal? But have you ever noticed that the forces of political correctness and the skeptics of Christianity, they never seem to complain about us committing a genocide on ISIS. Have you ever noticed that? They don't complain about that. We send drones over the caliphate there not in Iraq. We blow up houses full of people and no one says a peep. Who would dare? Because the evil of ISIS is so staggering. It's unimaginable what goes on. And nobody even questions the fact that they deserve the death penalty wholesale. Even if people are against the death penalty, no one even questions it. We can all remember the news coverage, you know, the the beheadings, you know, people being burned alive, uh, you know, children being beheaded uh, to punish their parents, you know, uh, those kinds of things that are happening. And if people who are critical of the Bible only take time to learn a little bit about the Amalekites, the Amalekites were much like ISIS in the ancient world, but with worse morals, all right? They were terrible, terrible people. They would sweep into villages, looting, raping, killing indiscriminately. They enjoyed bloodshed. And some in Israel today are saying that Islamic terrorists are like a a modern incarnation of the Amalekites. And they made a lifestyle out of preying on the weak and the helpless. They were more like jackals than human beings. And during the exodus from Egypt, they slaughtered the most vulnerable Israelites, the weak, the disabled, the elderly, and the children who would lag behind. They would sweep in and kill those people. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 25, Moses, at the end of his life, he said, remember what the Amalekites did to you? Don't forget that. And when you get into this land of yours and you're going to create your own nation, you go and you wipe them out. Why? Because of this rabid, insane anti-Semitism that the Amalekites had. Now, God is not genocidal. God is not cruel. The Amalekites and ISIS and Al-Qaeda, these men, as evil as they are, and these women, as evil as they are, they have the requirements, the basic requirements of God's law written on their hearts. Theologians call this common grace. Common grace. Romans chapter 2, listen to this. Even the Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. We instinctively say, Thou shalt not kill, even though we don't have this written law. All right, we've always been like that, we, Thou shalt not steal. Even without having heard it, they demonstrate God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. People like ISIS and Al-Qaeda and the Amalekites, they just feast on evil. MS-17, things like that, they just drink in evil. And that is, that is a clear violation of just common decency, common humanity. It's called common grace. And so, yes, this command that God gives to Saul, it's hard to understand, but it's not impossible to grasp. And only God can give you and me direction when it comes to making life decisions. Isaiah 44, I am at the beginning and I will be at the end. There is no God except for me. And if you know and you have announced events before their time and told what is to come, then speak so now. You see, God can see the end of your life He can see the present, he can see the past, and he sees it all at once. And so only God can be the one that we can trust to give us guidance in life. And so the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Why not? Because God can do a kind of calculus that we cannot begin to comprehend. Well, that brings us to number two, all right? We want to approach God's wisdom God's word, God's wisdom with all humility, all humility. You think about that word humility. I've got a picture here of Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln is considered by many people to be the most humble man who's ever sat in the Oval Office. The man next to him is somebody you might not be familiar with. His name is George McClellan. I talked about him a few weeks ago. George McClellan was everything that Abraham Lincoln was not. Abraham Lincoln was born out in the woods, the western frontier. It was Illinois back in those days. Grew up in the log cabin. He was self-educated. You can kind of see he's kind of a sloppy dresser, you know, that kind of thing. George McClellan, on the other hand, he was a blue blood. He was born to a wealthy family in the Northeast. He went to West Point. He graduated number two in his class. He was uh, everything. He was refined. He was well thought of. He was well connected. And he was the general of the Union Army in the Civil War. And they went through drill after drill. They were organized and skilled. They looked the part. The only problem was that McClellan would not fight. And Abe Lincoln got so frustrated because the Army was well equipped, they were well organized, Uh, they were well trained but they would not go to war. McClellan was so tentative and so cautious, almost to the point of cowardice. They almost lost Washington, D.C. to Robert E. Lee. Lincoln made a visit to McClellan's house on November the 13th of 1861. He wanted to discuss strategy. He had his secretary of state and his secretary, his personal secretary there, John Hay. And McClellan, his porter said, the general is out but he's supposed to return home soon. So they sat and they waited. They waited for an hour and McClellan came into his house and he was told by the porter that the guests, including the president, were waiting for him in his parlor. George McClellan looked into the parlor. He saw the president, the secretary of state, and the president's secretary. He turned his back, walked up the stairs, and went up to his room. President Lincoln waited a half hour. He thought, surely, maybe he just went to change and wash his face or something like that. Finally, one of the servants came down a half hour later. The president's been waiting an hour and a half and said, sir, we're really sorry, but Mr. McClellan will not be able to meet with you tonight. He's gone on to bed. Wow. Secretary of State Seward was furious. He said, fire this man right now. Get rid of this man. And Lincoln, in humility, said, it is better at this time not to be making points of etiquette and personal dignity. And he went on to say, I will, I will endure anything from any one, any insult to end this terrible war. Wow, such humility. Look at verse 10 in your chapter 15. The word of the Lord came to Samuel and he said, I regret that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. Look at that word, turned away, literally means he turned his back on me And he walked away, just like McClellan did to Lincoln. What possessed Saul to act this way? Well, there's a clue in verse 12. It says, early in the morning, Samuel got up. He went to meet Saul and he said, where's Saul? Saul has gone to Carmel. and There he has set up a monument in his own honor and he's turned and gone to Gilgal. Saul could not resist the temptation to honor himself. He was going to take this king, Agag. He's going to drag him through the streets. And he's going to take all these animals. He was going to give these animals, these sheep, To his loyal supporters. That's what we call pork barrel politics, except in Israel it's called, you know, mutton barrel politics, all right, because they're sheep and not pigs. But Saul's behavior here is so different because years earlier he had been so humble. He had felt so unworthy. And one of the saddest scriptures in the Old Testament, look at verse 17. Although you were once small in your own eyes, Saul used to be such a humble, Self effacing man, God gave you success. God gave you wealth, influence, praise, and fame. And somehow, the good things that God gave you, you began to think that that was your own doing, and you've become proud. I won't really go into any detail today, but you know, this summer, I was thinking about this passage this summer. I had three things happen. They're not really big things, but I gotta tell you, they seriously wounded my pride. And none of those things are very serious. They're really kind of petty, but you know, pride has a way of taking something small and making it really big, you know? And overinflated pride has always been a real struggle for me, and it's not pretty at all. And each of these things that have happened over the summer It's been one thing in each of the three areas of my life that I take a lot of pride in, (laughs) you know? And if you had asked me about these situations, immediately after these things happen, I would have said with all sincerity, I've been wronged. It's not fair. It's not right what's happened to me. But you know, you go on a few long walks out on the gravel road out here, you know, and you drive around talking to the Lord around Borger and it doesn't take very long to drive around border, you know. And you get honest with God about how you really feel, and you slowly, painfully begin to realize what's going on. You know, that the Lord's taking your heart out of your chest and laying it on the operating table and because there are some cysts on your soul, and they have to be removed, and God's cutting away those things and doing it in love. So it's been hard. You know, that's why we say no one ever says, you know, you know, uh, his, his pride was tickled. <laughs> you don't know, no one ever says that. His pride was wounded. Why? Because it hurts. Obadiah 1.3 says, the, your deep pride has blinded you to the truth. Isn't that so true? One of the greatest dangers of our lives is pride because it can so easily lead to arrogance and nothing alters the state of the human heart like pride. Look what it did to Saul. He turned his back on God. Turned his back. It blinds us to the truth of who we really are. So that brings us to number three. We have to really be honest. If we have to make the tough call, tough decisions in life, we have to be honest about our heart. You know, there's so many times when I have to make the tough call. I just don't want to do it. I want to compromise the clear standards of God's word, try to keep people happy. Or I want to postpone. I want to procrastinate. You know, the famous last words of the procrastinator are, you know, it'll get better if you wait long enough. You know, those kinds of things. And rather than making excuses and procrastinating, we have to learn to be honest with God about what is really in our heart. Look at verse 13. Saul is in denial. Samuel reached him and Saul said the Lord bless you, Samuel. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. And I love this line. Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And what is this lowing of cattle? And Saul said, no, wait, wait. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. We totally destroyed the rest. Don't sweat it, Samuel. Man, we were in the progress of carrying out God's orders, and one of the guys had a great idea. Hey, let's save the really fat sheep and the really fat cattle. Let's have this big worship service for God, give lots of sacrifices. And you see there in verses 16 through 19, Samuel's trying to get Saul to see, you know, your motives are not as pure as you say they are. You're not being honest about why you did what you did. Look at verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. I brought back Agag, their king. And the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. Now, it's easy for us to play armchair quarterback in the 21st century saying, Saul, listen to yourself. That was not the mission. And we've all been there. Our hearts can be so deceiving, can't they? Even to ourselves. We need to admit this about ourselves and be honest about where our heart really is. And we need to be able to say things like, Lord, I know it's wrong for me to cheat on my taxes, but you know my heart and I really, really want more money. Put it out there. God knows that. Lord, I know it's not your will for me to move in with my girlfriend, but you know my heart. I'm really, really lonely. And you know why I would want to do that. I mean, what, it, what good does it do us to act as if God doesn't know what's going on in the depths of our soul? Psalm 33 says, The eternal God peers down from heaven and watches all of humanity, and he observes every soul from his divine residence, and he has formed every human heart, and he knows the deeds of each, each person inside and out. And so the Bible says in Proverbs 3, Trust the Lord with all your heart. That means put all your heart out there before the Lord. Put it all out there on the table. Don't allow doubts, fears, arrogance, pride, or wants. Hide in the corners of your heart. Proverbs 28, 26. He that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Then Samuel delivers one of the greatest phrases anywhere in God's word. Look at this. Verses 22 and 23. In literary terms, this is actually poetry in the Hebrew. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. When we bargain with God, we try to assert our own will over God's will. God doesn't call it things like having a weak moment or a slight character flaw. He says, no, it's rebellion. Rebellion means to argue with God. Divination. That's when you're trying to coerce secrets about the supernatural from supernatural spirits. We've seen it. Things like Ouija boards and tarot cards, you know, throwing bones on the blanket, you know, things like that. That's divination. You're trying to discover what pleases a God. And when you know what it is that pleases a God, you make a bargain with that God. And that's how Saul is treating God. He's like, I know God said to do this, but I'm gonna make all these sacrifices to him because I didn't really want to carry it all out. So I'm gonna make all these sacrifices. I'm gonna make a bargain with God because I know what he really wants is a bunch of sheep and cattle. And Samuel's like, no, no, that's not what God wants from you. He wants obedience. Arrogance, by the way, that's a much stronger word in the Hebrew than the NIV. It means insubordination or insolence shaking a fist at God in arrogance. Like Ariana Grande's new song, you know, God is a woman. You know, Ariana is not Grande. I'm just telling you right now. I mean, I mean, that's, and I know it's not what the song's about. I get that. But still putting that out there, God is a woman. That's arrogance and idolatry. You know, in that day, you worship the God that you thought would be the guardian and giver of a comfortable life. And what is Saul doing here? His object of worship is himself. He did what he thought would give him a comfortable life. And the words coming out of Saul's mouth, I did this for God, don't really match what's in his heart. Romans 2.16 says, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Man, I got to tell you, when I read that verse, I don't know about you. Man, this is a chill down my spine. It really does. And it should all of us. Believe me, it should. Obedience to God is an issue from our heart, from our heart. We want to be wholehearted in our life and endeavor because the sacrifices and the rituals that the priests did in those days, the sacrifices of animals, the shedding of blood, it was all meant to reveal to the people that what God really wants is your heart. Psalm 51, David wrote, You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repented heart, O God. And you see in verse 23, Saul is rejected by the Lord. And so sadly, Saul's rejection of God led to God's rejecting his, his leadership position. Now, Saul did not lose his salvation and things like that, but he, he lost the privilege of leadership. And so the last thing real quickly is this, number four. We have to know, know how to listen to one voice in life. Look at verse 24. Saul finally comes around. Samuel stays there. Samuel will not back down. Saul, you're not, you're not telling the truth. Saul, you're not seeing the truth. Finally, Saul says, okay, all right, here it is. Here it is. I sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Look at that phrase, I gave in to them. Literally in the Hebrew, it is, I listened to their voice. I listened to their voice. Saul had clearly heard the voice of God through the prophet Samuel, and he chose to listen to the voice of the people around them. He was trying to mingle the two together and come up with some kind of solution that would be, you know, amiable to both parties. He's trying to do two things at once, please God and please man. And can I tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, that is simply not possible. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of human opinion disables, but trusting in God protects you. If you want to go limping through life, if you go unstable through life, indecisive, it'll be because you're trying to listen to two voices and mingle the two together. Saul's a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. He's trying to listen to the voice of God and the voice of man and looking for the middle ground between the two. And the two could not be more different. The apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter one, am I trying to live my life to gain the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. And so in conclusion, uh, it's a beautiful song we sang a moment ago. And uh, we said, you know, God's promise still stands, and great is his faithfulness. Some of you today, you have a mountain in front of you. When you think about your life endeavor ahead of you, <clears throat> You see a long and difficult journey with some hard, hard choices. But his promise still stands. And in this endeavor we call life, if you want to thrive and endure, you want to be earnest and wholehearted because the the double-minded man is unstable in all their ways. (coughs) Sorry. Just in time. All right. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Faith Covenant Church in Borger, Texas. We are so glad you took the time to learn more about God's Word with us. To get in contact with us, visit our website at www.faithborger.com.